It's great to have you listening here on Old News, but here's a taste of what else is available on your podcast app. Welcome to <sighs> Mind Master. Let's ask our first contender to join us in the chair. And your name is? Bob Bobbins. Your occupation? Manatee Wrangler. And your specialist subject? The Last Tuesday Project. In two minutes, or however long this trailer lasts, starting now, what is The Last Tuesday Project? A podcast? Correct. When does it come out? Um, Tuesdays? Yes. How does it work? One person asks a question or comes up with a topic, and the others have an hour to research the subject. They all get back together and discuss the topic. Correct. Who's on it? Alex, Haley, Sean, and a frankly baffling cast of former and guest Tuesdays. Correct. What is a Dimbleby? The person who asks the question. Right. Does anyone have an unfair advantage? Not anymore, because that run and gag died after the first four episodes. Correct. Where can you listen to it? iTunes, Pocket Casts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your favourite podcast nap? Correct. Am I doing an impersonation of John? I've started, so I'll finish. Humphreys? No, because you're awful at impressions, so this has just been you talking to yourself for two minutes or so. And after that round, I have no idea how many you scored because I couldn't be bothered to count. But everyone should listen to the Last Tuesday Project because, uh, well, you know, information and stuff. Hello, this is Old News. My name's David. And I'm Russell, and it's good to be back. How are you? I'm alright again. Yeah. I am very impressed with the standard of production on the trailer for our friends at The Last Tuesday Project. Really? Yeah. Well, what I, what I find hysterical about the whole thing is that like, we've got much higher production values for promoting somebody else's podcast. Than <laughs> we have for our own. Than we have for our own. <laughs> <laughs> but in fairness, you know, I think that might be true on both, on both sides of the equation. Because I've been very impressed by the standard of work coming out of them. One thing I'd like to sort of go over and commend the last Tuesday project for, because we're talking about them, uh, is the last episode uh, surrounding mental health issues. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really enjoyed that. And I thought, how fantastic to hear a, a very candid yes. and very personal discussion without kind of fear of mockery or whatever. Very important mm-hmm. issues. And, you know, I mean, we're both people who That's mental health so issues fast. have touched our lives. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I think. Uh, that's to be applauded, so well done them. Old news. In what is good news for old news, we've hit double figures. Yeah, this is episode 10. Who'd have thought Who? we'd get this far? Yeah. What, what? How many months are we in now? Uh, November, December, January, February, March, April, May. Seven months in, we've hit episode 10. So we're averaging more than once a month as well, which is excellent. Yeah, we were trying to do two a month, but... <laughs> well, <laughs> well yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really quite pleased, and... Uh, our sort of listenership is grad- gradually increasing, you know, for various yeah. episodes. So, oh, we had a really—I I don't know if you look at the. St- actually, I know you don't really look at the stats. Um, we had a bizarre jump in listeners. I think three or four days ago, all from Mexico. From Mexico, interesting. Yeah, welcome to our Mexican <laughs> listeners. Yeah, yeah. Glad, glad to have you on board. Please do get in touch. Old news. What else is new? What else is new? I've developed very strong... Well, I've had strong opinions on nail brushes for a long time, but it came to a head today. Because <laughs> I, I do a bit of a dirty job in my yeah. professional life. Yeah. I, I, and I have spent the majority of this week trying to get my hands clean from the like just terrible grime that I endured in the, period, the last period of work that I did. And can I find a proper scrubbing brush with stiff bristles to clean my hands with like all nail brushes that i can find are are inadequate the two i had in the house were inadequate the i went to all the shops and i eventually ended up in a shop lakeland do you sell nail brushes no we don't but she said ah but we do have a vegetable scrubber and this this thing in the shape of a carrot (laughs) (laughs) but it has stiff bristles it's like i'm having that so i now have a vegetable carrot scrubber in my bathroom. You have a thing in the shape of a carrot in your bath. Oh, dude, it's just... 
this is so frustrating. Like, like, what about? See, this is a classic case of where consumer pro products are just designed with one audience in mind, and it's designed for your kind of everyday office worker who gets a bit of grime on their hands and they just need to wash. Right, the rest of us who need something to actually scrub with. Oh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> Anyway, I had to. I've also bought a proper a proper scrubbing brush from an industrial supplier, so I had to spend ten minutes registering on the internet to order this damn thing. And I just want to clean my hands. I just want to clean my hands. An industrial scrubbing brush. Well, it's, 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 it's there is a particular type of. You see, I have strong opinions on this. There's a particular type of nail brush you find in places which it it is like has a wooden handle on it and very stiff bristles. And it is a nail brush. But you just don't see see them outside of industrial settings, and could I find them anywhere in the shops? No. So here I am looking on the internet in an industrial supplier. So I've had to buy five of them, but <laughs> that's so annoying, really frustrating. You know what I've just realised? We haven't got the beer of indeterminate strength. Oh, should we get some beer of indeterminate strength? Yes. Right. We'll be right back. He, he's an interlude. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we're back. Yeah, with uh, I have the fit beer. Yeah, the white beer with the of the indeterminate strength. And yes. Which what do you have? I've got a. It's a very standard English bitter. How is it? I haven't tried it yet. No, that's not bad. That's it's wet. <laughs> no, that's not bad. No, mine is nice too. It's old news. So I think today's discussion could lead into some sort of interesting and, and potentially quite controversial areas, maybe. The format of old news is, how did we describe it? Two blokes chatting. Two blokes chat- those lines. chatting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which I think, isn't that a line from uh, Hello Internet, I think, which is, is another, another fine podcast, but uh, they don't promote us, so I don't yeah. suppose we should promote them yet. <laughs> um, oh God, imagine if they, they did. <laughs> Responsibility. Yeah, but uh, just remind people that we are just sort of two blokes in the north of England with no formal journalistic training. Yeah. Uh, would that be fair? Yeah, that's right. No yeah. journalistic training. No, hi- We're not historians or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I think unavoidably tonight's subject might touch on uh, some subjects which we both of us are white guys and we might touch on the subject of race so you know if we make a mistake if we tread on a tool in in a way that we don't understand let us know i mean yeah. I, i'm very happy to be corrected and you know feedback what you think needed to be said yeah, yeah absolutely what we're going to be talking about tonight is new orleans and the aftermath of hurricane katrina to the Americans who might be listening, would like you to would like to remind you that we are several thousand miles That's away, yes, and we've we basically we've used the internet to research this, and we're coming at it from our point of view. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that, well, there was a lot of things that I personally didn't understand and have learnt about mm-hmm. while yeah. investigating this, to, down to something we'll talk about in a very few minutes just the meaning of some words yeah. that Americans use an awful lot and, and to quite, be honest quite, quite commonplace yeah and terms, to be honest our our media used while it was going on without ever really explaining what they meant yeah. and a lot of British people don't know what they are They're what they mean ba- baffled by, by it yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 I think it's interesting because we'll probably talk a little bit about news coverage along the way which just tends to be a bit of a theme on, on old news well kind of is the point surprisingly right but uh, I think it is interesting that uh, we often get blanket coverage of uh, things from English speaking nations mm-hmm. obviously and this is a, a major major event I mean let, let's not downplay that this is a, a, a hugely significant event it, it's, it's interesting how I think our news media is very comfortable just sort of repeating verbatim things from the states mm-hmm. and thinks their audience gets it yeah, and I, I don't think uh, I think off, often we don't. You know, we don't we don't understand some of the terminology, and we don't understand like the nuance or the you know the background of like the history of things. You know, we we just get the sort of garish flash of oh, this thing has happened, and we're going to blanket cover it because it's in English, and therefore it's quite easy to do. But 
we get very little context. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing I've had people say to me in the past, nothing to do, you know, nothing to do with old news mm. from well before we started doing anything like this, is that they wished the news would give background on stories. Well, of course, the news, an actual news program, can't do that because they yeah. haven't got time. But it is a legitimate complaint, I think, yeah. that people are left behind by not knowing the background of. And I suppose, in a way, that kind of is one of the things that motivates us doing old news, isn't it? That's kind yeah. of one of the the original ideas behind the format was, you know, maybe at a bit of distance, you would have time to sort of think about such things. Old news. Tonight's topic of discussion I've called simply Hurricane Katrina and obviously the the main focus tonight will probably be the effects on Louisiana and New the city Orleans. of New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things it's worth touching on just before we start is that Hurricane Katrina makes landfall twice. Because it passes over Florida first. Mm-hmm. Is it just like a very severe tropical depression, I think, as it goes over there? Or it might be just, say, hurricane status. It sort of dwindles, but then as it goes over the Gulf of Mexico, it really, really picks up strength and it gets up to a Category 3 or even Category 5 at one, at one point, And then it descends back down to a Category 3, which my notes here, I think, like peak winds of 125 miles an hour. Yeah. I just find baffling i can't even imagine yeah yeah i mean we both lived through you know, the great storm of 1987 here yeah. in the uk where the winds hit 70 miles an hour <laughs> yeah. 70 whole miles yeah although i'm led to believe there was one night at work where we we touched winds up to about 80 85 miles an hour Oh right, yeah, yeah, which was really really severe but yeah i just it just baffles me what that must be like all those populations in in the Caribbean, you know, the the, the southeastern part of the US, Mexico, and so on, yeah. they I wouldn't say used to it, but they know what to expect. Yeah, parts of the world, all around the world. Well, I guess because because we talk about hurricanes, but also the typhoons in the yeah. south, you know, the, uh, the the sort of south the Pacific, su- southern Pacific. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're so lucky, mm-hmm. aren't we? He, you know, yeah. here in a a relatively temperate part of the world. Yeah. yeah. Oldeth, newseth. Let's do the the two words, the specific oh, the two words. Right, let, let's do the glossary. Our little glossary. Yeah. Uh, so there's two words that I have heard all my life, mainly in songs, but really came up in, in this, and that is levy and bayou. No idea what they were until yeah. I, I vaguely knew that a, a levy was something to do with keeping water back. Right. But it's a wall, either natural or man-made, used for blocking water, changing the route of water. So that could potentially be any types of water, so things like rivers and canals and... Swamps, marshes, coastal water, yeah. Yeah. And a bayou is a flat, low-lying body of water. And it mm. seems to be a very broad term. Right. So bayou, like I think in a lot of people's imaginations, just means swamp, but it could be other it, things. It can be other things, up to a very slow-moving stream, apparently. Right, okay. But I, I, th- I think in terms of New Orleans, we're probably looking at swamp, swamps, marshes. Yeah, and presumably you get sort of very broad, very shallow rivers that run through swamps very slowly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I imagine a large part of the geography around there is that, isn't it? You know? Yeah. And yeah. I suppose those sorts of lands, swampy, marshy lands, and coastal lands tend to be poor areas. Yeah. 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 Oh, although New Orleans itself, historically, was quite a rich city. Right, because uh, it's a big port facility, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, it's a big point for import export into the States and also oil and gas. Yeah as well yeah i mean um after the civil war it's been more or less a constant decline but a constant decline from being one of the richest cities in the south if not the richest city in the south right now i suppose is that historically connected to it being the capital of french america yeah that it was was very well placed as a port city it was the third biggest port in the united states or North America, if you want to say right, that. Third yeah. biggest port in North America, as I say, up until the Civil War. 
you looked a little bit into some of the the geography of the city and sort of you know yeah. what, what happens in the years running up to the event in yeah uh, so it, it's always been a, a city prone to flooding because of where it is like it's so low, it's low, very low la- lying land. low lying right next to the Mississippi River it became more prone to flooding in the early 20th century because as the city grew what they started doing was pumping water out from the swamps and marshes mm-hmm. and building on it right which is always a bad move really <laughs> when you you're talking about but flooding in 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 some ways uh how much of that reflects what was going on elsewhere and so it's like the, the classic is the um the Mississippi River you know in the 20s and the 30s where largely is public works projects you know up into the 50s and 60s they uh they cut across the meanders right yeah you know to straighten the river to reclaim land agricultural use or development or whatever so it kind of fits in with that pattern that that sort of low-lying effect was exacerbated by the fact that these areas started subsiding making them drop down to a good few feet below sea level right well i suppose this is the sponge effect right if you take the water out yeah the soil the land will just gradually sink naturally right yeah in the 80s and 90s so 1980 1990 yeah not 18 um <laughs> it was realized that erosion sort of natural erosion of the riverbanks and the the natural levees and so on uh, was making the city more prone to prone, flooding yeah. more 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 at risk of storm surges yeah. Right, and the storm surge is what happens, I suppose define our terms a little bit, yeah. is when you have a very rapid increase in the sea level yeah. caused by a storm, presumably because of the low, the low air pressures and the mm. wind pushing. So yeah, so the, the city was at risk of this happening. happening. Yeah, and you wonder whether that increased risk, you know, as erosion starts to take hold and the defences become weaker, you wonder if that is really just a process of nature naturally trying to claim back what had been held back in the early 20th century yeah it just it has that feel about, about it because ultimately that's what happened to the mississippi river all of those channels they built to straighten the river silted up right you know in the 60s and 70s and very very quickly a lot of the meanders were reclaimed by the river because when those things happened they tended to be quite dramatic because it would mm. suddenly overtop where it had sort of being blocked off and quickly the river would have its way you know and cause chaos yeah. yeah and you wonder wonder if this is like kind of a similar process mm. yeah, at work so one of the things i find strange about about, about this is the uh, the building of levees which is to say dikes and the walls on tops of dikes you know to to hold water back is is all controlled in the states by the army corps of engineers yeah that's something i thought was strange it's, it's a totally yeah i've come across them before in reading different things so they, they have all sorts of responsibilities in the states but it's a very peculiar i think it's unique to the states isn't it? The, the military has this sort of yeah um and yet by what i can tell a lot of the people in the army corps of engineers are essentially civilian engineers and things that have they move into it and they do wear uniform and they carry rank but it's it's operated as like semi i, I didn't look into that I, yeah. I just picked up on it being a bit strange again from our point of view as british people yeah surely you'd have a civilian organization yeah. for doing that well that's, that's in the uk we used to have things like the ministry of works Mm-hmm. We, you know, and we we have to you know, the nowadays this this sort of work is done by the Environmental Protection Agency and so on. You know, they're all yeah. civilian arms of government. It is it's, it's very peculiar. But the American government does seem to be a bit like that. You know, like for a long time, the the Secret Service were a branch of the Treasury. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're no longer apparently. Oh, just, just recently, they were the few mm. years ago. They they were moved. But these sort of artifacts of some political manoeuvre many years ago and mm. you know they, they retain this sort of historical status very peculiar but one one of the little snippets i picked up on this in, in the floods there was 55 individual breaches of the the levees and there was a, a report done afterwards where the army corps of engineers had to essentially atone for its sins they had built and reinvested a lot of money into the levees in the 80s and this was all on the basis of a report uh, into the, like, the, the specifications that were needed. And so apparently they misinterpreted the uh, the engineering data in that report because the, the walls for the levees, they suggested having pilings of 44 foot deep. 
and they only built them to 17 foot deep. All right. So obviously, what, what was their reasoning for that, other than cost and laziness? Yeah. All right. Okay. Right, and he and and so they they saved a hundred a hundred million dollars. Big engineering mistakes do happen. You know, like cock-ups are made where people misinterpret data or read things wrong. You you would be amazed mm-hmm. how many disasters yeah. have mm-hmm. happened from. We talked very briefly about the Challenger disaster, didn't we? In the mm-hmm. uh, or even the the Columbia disaster in the first episode. I just I think in such a big organization when you're doing that type of planning. You just imagine somebody somewhere went, you do know that this isn't really good enough. This yeah. should be better. You know, these, these should be almost twice as deep. This is where we tread on the more sort of politically explosive ground, I think, because there, there there's an awful lot of commentary out there. It doesn't take much to find it on the internet, whereby they're protecting a majority black city, or African-American city, mm-hmm. and decision makers who are seen to be in the north, you know, distant at the federal level right. subject to all of the politics of the US more broadly and there's, there's this deep deep suspicion that that cost saving that penny pinching that oh we've cocked it up but let's not say anything attitude was driven by like an institutional racism that well we can look down our nose at New Orleans because well we just don't take them seriously Yeah, and I, I find that appalling and I know that we have problems, like every country has this, doesn't it? Where, mm. you know, the centre treats the pro- the provinces with a certain amount of disdain. Yeah. And and certainly as two boys from the northeast of England. We yeah. have oh, that. well, yeah. We're, we're from a wasteland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Well, William the Conqueror harried the north and that's it. There's nothing left, right? Yeah. Uh, and then there's Hadrian's Wall in Scotland exists above us, which is fine. But the racial tone of this discussion... And how how quickly race enters that discussion leads me to suspect there might be something to it. From an outside point of view, I find that so unpleasant. You know that you would risk your spending decisions, and the risks you take would be so much greater. You know, and your spending would be so much less on the basis that they're a city of majority African Americans that we don't care about. Yeah, and I, I, it's I find that very very alien. But it's not entirely out of the ordinary for infrastructure decisions in the States. There was a case I came across just on a little bit of sort of side reading by building a metro line in one of the cities. And the reason why they they decided not to build the metro line, despite the fact they're desperate for public transport, was because white residents of a neighbourhood didn't want black people passing through. Right. Right. And this is quite recently in, in the 2000s. Okay. This is all couched in terms of we don't want poor people coming mm-hmm. through here, through, here. through our wealthy neighbourhood. Yeah, this is the language which is bad is, enough in itself. Which is bad enough in itself. Yeah, uh, and I also agree. In Britain, we have terrible pr- infrastructure, but that's almost because of always penny pinching and just bad planning generally. Yeah. and people want infrastructure but aren't willing to pay for it. Right, fine, that's our affair. But I, again, I don't know if we have that sort of attitude and our willingness or their willingness to you know in those wealthy communities to use wealth and poor as a proxy because everybody knows what it really means yeah yeah but you don't have to say it out loud Mm -hmm. you don't say it out loud yeah at all yeah and it it's just it's so sad i actually buy the analysis i do buy the analysis that for like great structural reasons in the politics this is why you get these terrible infrastructure decisions on on new building levies you know they they invest best a certain amount mm-hmm. but it's not enough it's yeah. really not enough and then as you see you've got this process later on in the 90s where it starts to erode and you know maybe they need to rethink and they need to or reinvest at least yeah reinvest and yeah. they don't no one thing we haven't met mentioned so far is the number of deaths no. and like and on the lower bound of the estimates is 1245 of which anywhere between two-thirds and three-quarters is caused by the flooding and the, you know the rest is sort of more indirect deaths like cause of the, you know, the wind and uh, you know, flying debris and motor accidents and so on but just the flooding kills the majority of those folk. You know, you can see why this this is really very, very key to uh, identity and politics down in Louisiana and and the coastal area. You know, let's not forget there was a lot of damage done yeah. in Mi- Mississippi uh, and 
but all, Georgia, all, Georgia, yeah, all, all those coastal areas. They Mississippi especially mm-hmm. suffered terrible damage as well. But obviously, the the main damage was in the city itself. Oh, yes. So the next point I wanted to move on to was a little bit about the evacuation because you said something before about the eva- evacuation of the city, didn't you? When they ordered the evacuation, it was unique. Yeah, is the first mandatory evacuation of the entire city, given that this city has been prone to flooding since its inception. Yeah, that's right. And there's a lot of people just don't get into the the evacuation procedure properly. The, I've, I've got a little bit here about the the, uh, the planning, and and it was always sort of decided that the disaster planning was like like a bottom up process. So those local areas would have their own disaster planning for floods. And that if they needed help, they would then appeal upwards to the county level. And then if the county needed help, they would then appeal up to the state and then the state, ultimately the federal authorities. And what was just badly exposed in this was that the local planning wasn't very good. Or maybe it was all right, but it was just such a severe incident that nobody had really thought about that it was just overwhelmed. And so it took a huge amount of time for that upwards process to happen. And then you got this terrible delay and help coming. Then you end up with the situation in the uh, the super the superdome, the superdome, yeah. Yeah, where there's thousands of people sort of go go there for protection, and it's not great because you know, no. uh, well, that's one of the things that always baffled me in this. That I know you might want to go into a big building and feel safe with other folk, but a big building like that with a like a big stadium with a roof over the top, it's just prone to wind damage. And that's exactly what happened, wasn't it? The, the membrane of the, the roof over it largely just peeled away. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're left with this situation. I think that very sort of quickly leads into the way this was reported. And this is something I do remember from the incident. And you remember how salacious it was? Oh, Not really? Well, the, so there was a lot of talk about looting and murder and rape mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. violence. And, and let's not pretend that those things don't exist and didn't exist in uh, a city like New Orleans. You know, yeah. any city in the world, they, they have all those things. But there, there was a lot of salaciousness about it was uh, out of control. A lot of the coverage, I remember it being very garish. Mm. Right? Yeah, I suppose I can, I can remember it kind of getting a bit almost excited by the fact that it was mm. a bit Mad Maxian, but I think if that's what, a word. But I think what <laughs> it is, uh, what it is now, one of the things that I think, again, talking about the proxy of rich and poor for black and white in American mm. politics or in, in American media, what I think was very clearly evident, and I think this, because this is going to be controversial, is how people were willing to believe that it had descended into this terrible Mad Max, everyone for yeah. himself wasteland, because the population was majority African American. Let's not forget that the neighborhoods that were greatly affected was is it the ninth department, uh, the ninth district. Yeah, or the ninth ward. The ninth ward. Yeah. That's yeah. right, the ninth ward, which is one of the poorest areas of town, overwhelmingly African American, and so these are the people that are affected the most. Again, the tone of the coverage just had this sort of terrible. They're behaving like animals, and they're very depersonalized. And I think it's very easy for a lot of media to depersonalize African American communities in particular. Mm-hmm. That, like in urban African American communities, that are seen as just being other. Mm-hmm. They're a block. You just refer to them in as a block the way I just did. Yeah. In a way, not as individual people. You know, there's a lot of the uh, stereotypes came to the, to the fore because when it came to relief efforts. There was a lot of people very willing to sort of say, oh, well, you know, these people are just sponging. They're lazy. Mm. They're not looking yeah. after themselves. The fact, the fact these are really poor people from a desperately poor part of town. They've just had... Just had everything. Armageddon. Washed away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All of their homes, their livelihoods. All their, yeah, all their possessions. And so you get this enormous number of people that are eva- evacuated and they end up elsewhere, don't they? You know, you... Yeah. In sort of cities like Houston, Houston yeah, that kept popping up. Houston, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. and so you've got this enormous. Is it like three thousand, three hundred thousand people that are evacuated out of the city? I didn't find that figure, uh, uh, but yeah. I would. That must be about right because I did some maths on yeah. population. They reckoned uh, when they registered all of the refugees, there wasn't a single state in the U.S. That didn't, didn't have, have any. a refugee. Right. Yeah, because presumably a lot of people went to the local areas where they had families. But mm. you know, 
people just ended up scattered to the four winds. Because in the end, what if we look at the, the the population of the city after the event, how many have left? I didn't note down what it was immediately after, mm. but in 2006, the population was estimated at uh, 255,000, which was 56% of the original population. So just more than half of the population. I mean, that's going to be devastating to any economy. But people have gradually people have to been returning by 2010 the areas that hadn't been flooded or not severely affected were back to 100% of their original population right. or higher yeah. and they were all like the older parts of the city yeah. weren't they presumably the higher ground the higher ground that hadn't yeah. been drained yep yep yeah. and by 2015 the population was back at 389,617 to right. be precise <laughs> and that was where i had to do the maths to come up with a percentage is give or take about 86% of the original population. Right, so you've still got 14% of the population is now forming this diaspora that yeah. exists elsewhere. And now oof, I would suggest probably aren't ever coming back. Back, yeah. yeah. Uh, the city might, with uh, I'm sure the city will eventually get back on a par and then increase in size, yeah. but it's not going to be the people who left coming yeah. back. And one thing that's really interesting, just, just to kind of follow the theme that we've been talking about, is the differential rates of return between white communities and African American communities. Yeah. In that the poorer, generally speaking, poorer African American communities have returned at a much lower rate yeah. than the white communities, who are presumably people who have a little bit of wealth behind wealth them, behind I suppose. Them, yeah. Yeah. There's also been a reluctance to rebuild the poorer parts of the city. Uh, they're, they're using this opportunity, you might say, to replan the city, but and and they're involving the population of the city in you know what do you think we should do rebuilding it? But of course that means the more wealthy people get more of a say, and it's yeah. gentrification writ large by the, the sounds of things. Scale, yeah. yeah. So one of the things that isn't being replaced is a lot of the public and social housing. Yeah, which obviously is is sort of tends to be the poorer communities. You think that replanning the city would be your opportunity to then maybe think about, well, do we want communities with a better social mix? Yeah, how do we integrate the communities? How do we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What yeah. a brilliant opportunity this is! Let's start with a clean slate. Yeah, let's mix everyone together. I, I suppose it like because the rate of return of folk has this racial bias to it it then allows like structural racism to sort of come in yeah because all, all, all the decisions just get made by as you say by the people with the loudest voice yeah. mm-hmm. one of the things I read was a Guardian article where from uh, I think it was 2008 and they were talking about the Disneyfication of New right. Orleans ah, right? okay because right? New Orleans is very very famous for obviously it's, it's culture right yeah. so, the Mardi Gras and uh, the Jazz and Heritage Festival, yeah. yeah. And they, they were never... They were never cancelled, which is yeah. amazing. The, the timing of them changed. So in 2005, they were put back, I assume. Yeah. I, I didn't look up when they actually were, but <laughs> one assumes they were put back in the yeah. year, but they weren't actually cancelled, which is Which says something amazing. about like the vital cultural identity of the city. You know, but, and because of that, Tourism is a big in- industry, and so the reconstruction is seen as a chance to bring in tourism. Yeah. Well, again, that's another industry that is, I mean, it's very valuable for a lot of cities around the world, but it does tend to push locals out. Mm-hmm. And I suppose if your locals are living in Houston or under the surrounding states and have been there for a number of years, then, well, when you're building to incorporate a bigger tourist industry, it's your opportunity to exclude people so they can't come back. Old news. One of the things that's interesting is that there's been a huge amount of squabbling over who funds this. You know, we mentioned this at the top of the show, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Did we? Well, we did. Well, very briefly. <laughs> but the, 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 there is a bit under the, uh, the George W. Bush administration where they're talking about getting funds from the federal government to help reconstruction and repairs. Mm-hmm. And it's all sort of delayed and, you know, gets bogged down in the Congress and whatever. What they want to do is pass a war funding bill, which is quicker because okay. you, you can expedite spending decisions through war funding. So, again, one of these sort of arcane bits of American kind of procedural bits in the Congress, I assume that because they've got things going on in Iraq and whatever, that they're having to appropriate money to fund that so you can tax stuff onto the bottom of it. 
Right. It's line items, but the George W. Bush administration kind of goes, well, no, not yet. Oh, we need to think about this carefully. They do actually do the spending, but it's done through the next year's budget. So again, there's, there's this inordinate sort of delay in spending. Again, there's a lot of people out there kind of saying, well, why the delay here? Because they're not electorally important? Yeah. Maybe, yeah. They're not going to vote in a way that's friendly to the, the, the Republican administration. Party. Yeah. yeah. That whole thing just seemed really, really strange to me when I was uh, looking into it. The thing that came to my mind is, what would happen in this country? We never really get events of this scale. Uh, I, I was trying to think of an event of anything near Sheffield this Sheffield in 2000? No, the floods in 2000? What I thought might be the nearest... I can't remember now. No, she- Sheffield was late, late, late I, I was there. thinking that the, 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 near, the nearest equivalent might be the floods in York. Oh right, because okay. yeah. well, because it's it's a sort of similar. Obviously, nowhere near the the scale, but York is a small city, nor like from our country's political perspective, north of London, so therefore considered less important, important yeah. but of quite large cultural importance. Yeah, of of historical value. Yeah. yeah. So what I tried to look into was so who paid for the damage in York. It was mostly private insurance companies. That's right. When yeah. you come down to it, yeah. but the government, mostly through local government, paid people, just gave them grants right. to rebuild their lives, rebuild their houses, rebuild their businesses. The, just no question about it. This is a thing that we'll yeah. do. I mean, I mean, it, there will have been discussion about it, and you know, people will have had to have applied for it and things like that. But I just can't imagine the same sort of wrangling and dithering and dithering yeah. about giving some people in a city some money to rebuild their lives after a disaster. I, I know that. Spent. I mean, th- there is mechanisms inside the EU, isn't there, whereby member states do get wedges of money in the event of disasters. Now, sure, we did get them in the two thousand floods. Right. Similarly, you know, when uh, the there was the Italian earthquake a few years ago and. You know, there's there's like a pot of emergency money that can be called upon. You know, for relief efforts. Oh, just about relief efforts. Like the Byzantine nature of American politics, right? Do you think about the the UK's contribution to relief efforts? No. Right. So we sent three hundred and fifty thousand uh, emergency meal packs that were eventually never delivered because of restrictions on the importation of British beef because of BSC, mad mad cow. <laughs> really? <laughs> which had disappeared years before. Disappeared years before. And that, that that's something which has always irritated me uh, on that whole thing, because bashing British beef imports, right? And I can't say I'm a huge advocate for British agricultural produce here, right? <laughs> this is... Buy British lamb. <laughs> Buy British lamb. Oh, dear. That is entirely about the American beef lobby, just wanting to exclude a competitor. That's yeah. all it is, right? And so the American public, for years and years and years, even long since after the event, uh, were convinced that BSE was still a problem and all of our beef was still poisonous. Mm-hmm. What is essentially something to do with internal US politics, like in terms of the, the ag- agricultural American lobby, that they turned down all this free, free food and our efforts are wasted? It, I, to me, that's just appalling. Yeah. Well, did you read about? Did you read about the trailers, the the that FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency trailers? Yeah. Yeah. About how many of those were just uninhabitable or sort of semi-habitable? You went for months without any electricity or water supply. Yeah. So they they have these like emergency caravan type things that yeah. people are supposed to be housed in, and it's just just uh, left empty. Yeah. Huge numbers of them, thousands a, of them. What a waste! Yeah. Yeah. So interestingly, uh, just on the kind of the thought about our point of view, Cuba and Venezuela, uh, and Venezuela's under uh, Chavez at the time, they offer aid, they right. offer medical aid, medicines, and so on, and the Americans turn it down. Yeah. Like, uh, that's. I don't know. Sh- that- surely that's just pride. Well, how isn't much of pride? it is, is, yeah, it's this terrible real politic, isn't it? Of, oh, but if we accept your aid, you're just going to then make a propaganda victory against us? Mm. I would say, 
take the propaganda hit and use yeah. it to build bridges. Yeah. Again, if somebody offered me 200 tonnes of medical supplies, whatever it was, it was a substantial amount. You know, it was tonnes and tonnes and tonnes of medical supplies and medical personnel they were offering. Take them, take them and be magnanimous. Yeah. Then say, what a great victory for friendship. Humanity and Humanity, friendship. bridge yeah. building. If you want, the, there's always a friend in the United States. You only have to... It becomes your propaganda victory if you want it to be. Yeah. But instead, it was this very churlish is the word, isn't it? I was thinking childish. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what came to mind while you were talking about it is Greece and Turkey. Greece and Turkey hate each other yeah. as nations. But in, in the Turkish earthquake, Tur- right? Tur- who were the first people in there helping? It was the Greeks. Yeah. The Greek government. Ah, well, well no, Greek it people. wasn't. It was Greek volunteers Greek first, and then after a few a few days, the Greek government was shamed yeah. into it. But in fairness, yes, it was the Greeks. Yeah, yeah, and that that was seen to be extremely productive in terms of uh, building bridges and you know um, relieving tensions and so on. Yeah, it, it's just so so sad. One of the things I find weird as well is there there are many rich countries that provide assistance. Norway. France and Israel are initially turned down, but then are asked to help anyway at a later date. It just seems strange that you would turn down international aid offered from allies yeah. as well. And then subsequently, cap in hand, go, oh, sorry, could you please? <laughs> I mean, obviously, it must be incredibly difficult to coordinate all these things, oh, you know, because yeah. you'd have airplane, aircraft landing, Canada sub- uh, provided a substantial amount of aid, you know, mm. so you'd have you know, the Canadian Air Force show up with, you know, God knows how many tons of material and people. And, yeah, you know. and, in all their one aeroplanes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so bad for that. So bad Sorry, Canada, I know you have three aeroplanes. Yes, that's right. Almost three. <laughs> Almost three. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. We'll go, we'll go Wait, you know what? Sunday. We love Canada. <laughs> we do love Canada. We love Canada a lot. Uh, yeah. They're just so, easy targets. Yeah, that's true. Like New Zealand. Yeah. <laughs> we, we'll insult them. And, uh, well, New Zealand provided aid as well. Right. Yeah. In, in, interestingly, so did Norway and India as well. And in, in, interesting, you know, a country with. Well, they don't have a problem supplying beef, do they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. They have distinctly BSC free beef. Yeah. <laughs> in that they don't have any beef. Well, they have tons of beef. They're just not allowed to do anything. <laughs> with to do anything it's all walking the streets. Yeah. He's been preaching on my high horse about racism for the whole of the year. <laughs> for the whole of the podcast. Oh, dear. So I, I think it's, it's just curious that the, the, that a nation that has its own challenges and its own backyards also felt the urge to offer substantial amounts of money although the biggest donors guess who the biggest donors were mexico the arabs oh right right oh, yeah. Kuwait, saudi arabia yeah. united, united arab emirates mm-hmm. yeah so interesting that i suppose they're all kind of you know the america's backyard in the middle east in a way you know they're, they're all friendly nations but it's interesting i think it's very easy to point the finger at those countries go oh, they're undemocratic terrible whatever but I don't know. They, I think there are people in those governments that take their commitment to humanitarianism very seriously, and yeah. although they don't, they they don't necessarily have the skills to export to send men and material. You know, they, they certainly they have money, but they certainly have cash, and you know they're they're willing to spend cash. So, but as I might be a cr- critic of a lot of the governments in that part of the world, fair play to them. Old news. It's interesting. I, I think this incident in two thousand and five, and the you know, the various flooding incidents we have in Europe, uh, you know, in the UK, we, we you know the sort of the two thousands are very very sort of notable, aren't they, for the sort of various flood flooding events we have sort of from from two thousand onward, and uh, how the thinking really changes in the UK. Certainly, we've started to talk about well, let's reinstate wetlands on the coastal areas. Mm-hmm. Really, because it's great for wildlife and and the rest, but also it acts as that sponge, that sort of yeah protected area. It's a, like a buffer zone between the water and the people. Yeah, and let nature take what it needs in order to act as a barrier. Yeah, yeah. I can see why from a cultural like I mean, it's a very valuable cultural asset in New Orleans for the states. I just fear that although they have try to incorporate some of that the solution in the end is just more engineering mm-hmm. bigger levees 
yeah, m- more man against nature. Yeah, yeah. And you just wonder whether this is just going to get worse because of climate change. Climate, yeah. climate change. Yeah. It's amazing, you know, reading a little bit about like the natural impact. Uh, if that's the word in 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 New Orleans, you know the 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 lands that were lost just permanently put underwater, never to be mm. reclaimed again. Islands that there was a whole chain of islands off the coast, like half of those islands disappear, breeding grounds for valuable species, you know, uh, sea turtles and whatever. Mm. They they all washed away or ended up in a sort of permanently underwater. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, you might say it's kind. Of, that's maybe it's like natural process. Yeah, because that would have happened. You know, those islands would have disappeared whether mankind was around or not. I suppose the difference there is the turtles. If if mankind wasn't around, the turtles would have just found somewhere else. Because we're here, the turtles might not be able to find somewhere else. That's true. Yeah. They probably have, but there's that chance. There's probably more of them died than necessarily should have. It's old news! So, what lessons do we learn from the whole show? Spend money on your dikes. Spend money on dikes. <laughs> Maybe we should employ a whole army of small Dutch boys to go around yeah. putting fingers and things. What I take away from this is the almighty power of nature and how, despite our best efforts, sometimes it will just bite us in the bum. It frightens me in a way, but it also gives me... I just hope that we learn from this type of incident. We learn to live with nature a little bit better. Just as a little aside of this, and there was a little news story which came out a little while ago, I noticed that this is Katrina, which is a, a female name, and Rita is also a female name. And there's a really interesting piece of research that came out last year about the number of deaths compared to uh, hurricanes with male names and hurricanes with female names. Because the the practice is at the start of the season, you start with the letter A, and you go A, B, C, C, D, and you alternate male and female. It can be statistically shown that more people are killed by female hurricanes. And they reckon this is because people don't take the threat seriously enough from a female name really yeah it's essentially a sexist response to her hurricanes because <laughs> right? i was talking about, about this to to a work colleague right and he was very angry at me going oh well if you measure a or b a or b will always be greater than you know one or the other mm-hmm. i said no 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 like if you read the actual news report this is statistically significant this is not just chance right right and i i that just baffles me that sexism yeah. is so ingrained in society <laughs> that, you know, Hurricane oh, Charles... safe, yeah. Yeah. Like, the utilitarian thing to do would just be to have all male, all names, male names. yeah. Or just give abstract names, I suppose. Mm. Hurricane 1, Hurricane 2. Yeah. I don't know if authority comes and says, you need to get out of your house because there's going to be a disaster. Like, any, any, any minute yeah. now. What's the disaster called? Oh, well, that wears a dress. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's, that's not all right, that's then. not so bad. Yeah, yeah, I'll just have a cup of tea. Yeah. yeah, it's just madness. Well, I think that covers what we wanted to say. It does, yeah. yeah. One incident, but it brings out so many issues about society and politics and nature and how we live. Oh, it's been really interesting. Yeah. So, as is traditional at this point of proceedings, we'd like to thank Mr. Peter Kitson for the use of his voice. And to bensound.com for the use of their royalty-free music. And of course, you can get in touch with us at our website, oldnews.podbean.com. You can email us at oldnewspod at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, just search for Old News Podcast. Or you can tweet us at Old News Pod. We've done that thing where we forgot YouTube. Oh, yes. Search yeah. for us on YouTube. You can definitely find us on YouTube if you use a magnifying glass and some. <laughs> Some it's, tweezers. It's, yeah, and some cunning. Uh, <laughs> Just some cunning. Yeah, some cunning. Yeah. Yeah. Cunning internet foo. <laughs> right, so on that note, I think we should say goodbye. Yeah, th- thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.
something else I wanted to say as well. Oh yes, please like and share us and give us five stars on iTunes yeah, and on and on YouTube as well. Yeah, yeah. We but, got our first YouTube comment. Yes, we did. Yeah, yeah. It was quite possibly a spam. It almost certainly was spam. I actually engaged with a piece of spam on Facebook today. All right. Uh, there was an advert for somebody who had. There was a photograph of a candle, and there was like a bloke. Like say, such and such bloke's book is about to be published. Please contact. Right. I, I could resist commenting that this looked like cult advertising. <laughs> you know when you see an advert that's just empty of contact or content, right. and they please get in touch, and you mm. think mm. this just looks a bit sus. Mm. So anyway, and the, the the chap whose book it was like got uh, sort of messaged me back and went. This is the first. I really hadn't thought that it would look like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, he said, well, like, why Why do you think it looks like this? And I said, well, because you've got the religious overtones with the candle and that sort of empty advertising kind of looks looks a bit like what the Scientologists do mm. and get people in. Mm-hmm. And do you know what this guy does as a living? It does advertising. All oh, right. And he hadn't thought of that at all. No. <laughs> How embarrassing! Yeah. <laughs> he put. He'll have thought. Well, that that's mysterious. That'll get people in. Yeah, and apparently uh, he's he's one of these guys. He's written a book. Presumably, it's like it's a business management book or whatever. Fine, you know, good good luck to him. But uh, there's a chapter in there about how in the days of candlelight, people could only do like a certain amount of work in a certain amount of time, and how that changed. Where like once electric light came in, and uh, so I'm presumably that's quite an interesting sort of point he's making right. but he does really mis- misjudge <laughs> the advert <laughs> or at least everybody who looks at that advert now thinks it's misjudged because I'm the first comment <laughs> <laughs> he's going to run all these advertising past you now you're going to get messages I'm from clearly in the wrong, the wrong prof- profession <laughs> <laughs> so the linguistic obsessives at the last Tuesday project are really desperate for us to do an advert for Babe Station, but I'm not going to do an advert for Babe Station. This isn't an ad- advert for Babe Station. I greatly disapprove of Babe Station, but you know, I don't I disapprove of Babe Station. Oh, really? I disapprove of Babe Station. Do you? We should you? all disapprove of Babe Station. Well, I don't know why. Why? <laughs> Boobs. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. No. Yeah, get rid of that. <laughs>